I want to thank you guys and the Ventura campus for your continued support, for my family and Daisy for your prayers. Uh, Daisy had a good week. She kind of got out of bed for the first time this week in several weeks and uh, seems more herself. She's been a little spunky and she's got that little thing back. And um, so it's been a good week. Yeah, thanks. In fact, uh, yesterday she actually danced. She was dancing in her living room. We had that song on, uh, what's that song? I don't know the title, but tonight's going to be a good night. You know that song? It's full like pig and disgusting song, but we were bumping it in the living room. And uh, Daisy got up and she was dancing with Kate and with Isaiah. And I was watching from the couch and it was so good to see her moving that way and feeling that way. And uh, afterwards she said to Kate, she said, mommy, when I was dancing, I, I felt like I didn't have cancer anymore. And um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that just means, you know, she's happy to be feeling good for the first time in a long time or if it's something more, but it gave us hope. It just gave us hope and we're just happy that she's feeling that way and that she's comfortable right now. Uh, we're looking forward to a good week. On Friday, we go back down to Children's Hospital in Los Angeles for another round of chemotherapy. Um, 20 days after that, she'll have another scan to see if there's um, any shrinkage in the tumor. We, we want the tumor to shrink so that they can uh, resect it, they can remove it. It's wrapped around the aorta right now. So we need that tumor to shrink. Gosh, Kate and I have just been praying that it would be gone miraculously, that it wouldn't be shrunk, it'd be gone, and that the whole medical people down there would be baffled and that they would see Jesus in his glory. So if you join us in praying for that, we're just praying for a miracle. We believe God can do that if it would be his will. So thank you for your support and your prayers. Uh, we're having a good time going through Psalm 23 together with the church planners. Tim Chaddock last week taught us. And uh, Pastor Dave Lomas from Reality San Francisco is here this morning. Uh, Dave is a tremendous man of God whom I love deeply. Uh, he's doing a great job in San Francisco. He's one of our sons. You guys should be so proud of him. Um, by the grace of God and for the glory of God, Reality San Francisco is the fastest growing church in the city of San Francisco. So glory to God, and, and Dave is being faithful. He and his wife up there and their team doing a great job. Dave is someone that I learn from a whole lot. He's got great insights into the Lord and scripture. Um, i in fact, I've learned so much that in my book, Big God, in the acknowledgments, I acknowledged him um, because I ripped off so much of that material from him, <laughs> literally, and put it in the book. We studied together for that sermon series. He's not getting any of the royalties at all, but he gave me a lot of the material, so I'm very thankful for that. And uh, we love this man deeply, and he loves you. Please welcome Pastor Dave Lomas. Hi. It's, uh, it's so good to be here, just an honor to be here. My wife and I spent two years here. This is where we felt like uh, we've, like Britt was saying, the church is doing way, way better than we, I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. But we're just trying to hold on. And we know that um, when people ask us, you know, like, what is going on? Like, where are you guys from? And I'm like, Bakersfield. And they're, <laughs> what, what? No, and it's like, what is reality? What is this? And being able to express 
say that there's a whole church in Carpinteria and Ventura that have been praying for this city and they love you guys dearly. And the family that we came from, it's just, it's so fun to talk about. It's like one of my favorite things to talk about other than what Jesus is doing there, like where we've come from. It's, we're so excited, so excited to be back and I'm humbled that I'm just asked to be back. And I want to say hi to everyone in Ventura. I don't know where to look, um, but I hear they're watching. Uh, so, um, so yes, I want to say hi to them as well. And there's people from there that have we love dearly that have been very instrumental. And there's people from here in Ventura every week coming to San Francisco. And they walk up like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's like the church here. And it's just really cool. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 23. It's so right and good that we're going through this psalm right now. Been learning, I don't know if you've been meditating on this psalm like, um, like uh, I have been the last couple weeks. You probably have since last week just meditating on it, thinking about it, thinking through it. Today we're going to be looking at verse 2 in Psalm 23, just verse 2, but of course, this psalm is just tied together, so we'll be all over the place. So I just want to read the whole entire psalm to you, and then um, we'll get into it, and I'll pray. Verse 1, we'll start in verse 1, read the whole chapter. Psalm 23, verse 1, Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me Beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, God, to know you as our shepherd is perhaps the most calming, tranquil. It's like our hearts are home when we know that you're our shepherd. And I pray, God, for, for oh, souls today and hearts and minds that are just not settled. Maybe they're just in the midst of crazy, tremendous chaos. Their world is just spinning out of control. And they don't know who to trust or where to go. I pray that they would find rest in Christ today. I pray that you would bring souls to rest. I ask God for those that love you, that follow you that want to obey you, and they sometimes feel so guilty when they doubt. I pray, God, that we wouldn't try harder today, that we would rest in the finished work of Christ. Would you do these things in our hearts and our minds today? I ask, God, that you would use, use my lips and my heart my mind. Anoint me, God. I pray that you would be seen as beautiful and the God in whom we lay our whole life down to. Because of you, we have green pastures in which to lie down. Thank you, God. Lead us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I didn't grow up, a lot of you guys know this, I didn't grow up in church. Um, I think I went twice when I was in elementary school. I just didn't go. I went to a Catholic church a couple times, but uh, uh, 
I, I remember two experiences when I went to church as a kid. The first one was a super Pentecostal church. I was like in fourth grade, and I still have flashbacks of what happened today. <laughs> and I remember going there, and I can't even really explain it all because I don't really want to bring those things up again. And then the other kind was this one like kids program I went to on a Sunday night, and they had a game square, um, but it was a circle, which was weird. And and they gave you Bible money. If you, if you d- memorize certain parts of Scripture, they give you money. And you could redeem this money for Reese's peanut butter cups. And this was my favorite place in the world. And I remember I had really fond memories of that. But even though I didn't go to church, even though I didn't grow up in church, I knew of Psalm 23. I knew it. Everyone knows Psalm 23, which puts this psalm at a bit of a disadvantage because it is so familiar to us that it loses its punch sometimes. Like Frederick Buechner has said, when a minister reads out of the Bible, I'm sure at least nine times out of 10, people who happen to be listening at all hear not what is really being read, but only what they expect to hear read. And that's what happens sometimes in Psalm 23. Most often, this is the case. I read, the Lord is my shepherd, and you go, oh, yes, yes, I know, and I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But the question today is, does he? Is he your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Are you in want? Do you feel like you're stretching out your tired body and your tired soul in the green pastures of contentment? Like you're frolicking beside still cool waters of tranquility. Is that where you're at today? Is that where your soul is at? If you were to take evaluation of your heart and your mind and your soul, are you at peace? Are you lying down in green pastures? And most of us would probably say, no. Well, then what does this verse mean and how do we get there? The first thing that we have to understand when we look at Psalm 23, especially verse 2, is that we have to understand what our greatest need is. We have to know that we are in need. We have to know what our greatest need is. And what is our greatest human need? Well, David says in the, in the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, when the Lord is our shepherd, we will never lack what we need. Tim talked about this last week. But what does that even mean? Like when we look at verse two, what does this really mean? Does this mean I'll never lack food? Like the Lord is my shepherd who always leads his flock to good green food, good green pastures, organic free trade, whatever. Is this what this means? I mean, sure, God does give us great and wonderful food. I live in a foodie town, a foodie city. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with great, amazing friends and great, amazing food on the table and looked around and my heart welled up with thanksgiving to where I almost wanted to cry, going, I'm so thankful, God, that you, this is from your hand. But there are also people all around the world that love God, that don't have adequate food or provision. Is the Lord their shepherd that leads them to green pastures? Does it mean that we will never lack good, clean water? Like the good shepherd always provides and leads his flock to still waters, clean water. Sure, God will provide naturally, even sometimes supernaturally, water for us to drink. But there's also people all around us in this world who love Jesus and trust in him as their savior and that they don't have access to clean water. Is the Lord their shepherd that leads them by still waters? I mean, what is our greatest human need? Those are needs. But what is our prevailing need? What is our predominant human need? Well, what's a a sheep's greatest need? Because that's what David's really saying here. 
He's like, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the analogy. We have to start here because God, time and time again, calls us sheep. And even here in Psalm 23, he's the shepherd and we are the sheep. Now, when you read this, this is a little bit funny if you know sheep. And it's really insulting if you know sheep. Like when we think, oh, the Lord is my shepherd and I'm a sheep, that's funny and a little bit insulting, especially for those of us in here who pride ourselves in self-reliance. Like you know it, like you're so self-reliant. You're emotionally self-reliant, like your heart is so hard, there's no one breaking in to your emotions at all. No one can tap in, not even your spouse. No one can break this hard heart. Or you're physically self-reliant. You don't want help. You don't receive blessings ever. Like, no, I could do it myself. Or financial self-reliance. We don't want to hand out. I don't want your help. I don't need anybody. The Bible calls you sheep, everyone, which is beautiful. In Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That's beautiful. But then there's the not so much. Isaiah chapter 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. I mean, here's the thing about sheep. Sheep are not known for their intelligence. You don't think of sheep when the first thing you think about when you think about sheep is not like cunning, (laughs) wise. They outsmart their predators. I mean, that's not what you think about when you think about sheep. They're not that smart. They're prone to wander and they're prone to wander together which is funny. As a flock, the flocks wander. There's even accounts of sheep walking into open fire, like together in the fire, going in, going, is it getting hot? Do you smell burnt sweater? Like, yeah, I do. Just keep walking. Just everybody keep, sheep do this. Sheep are very timid and skittish while remaining at the same time, absolutely stubborn. They're, they're, they get scared by the, the smallest thing freaks them out and they all run. But there's also times when they get stubborn and they, for no good reason, will not move at all and you can do nothing to move them. And sheep are completely defenseless. Sheep don't have necessarily big teeth, big sharp teeth. They don't have big horns. They're not like some sheep are born with steel wool, like they're the fighting army sheep. <laughs> sheep can't defend themselves necessarily. They can't feed themselves. They eat whatever in front of them. They're not hunters and gatherers. They don't know how to hunt for clean, still water. They drink whatever's in front of them, even though it will kill them. Put it this way. The Discovery Channel will not dedicate a week to sheep. (laughs) There will not be Shark Week last week and then Sheep Week this week. Like you won't, everybody's tweeting, Facebook, Shark Week, this is so awesome. I, I wanted to start to go, Sheep Week, this is really cool. Like, no, what does the commentator say during Sheep Week? Like, watch as the sheep stand there. <laughs> watch as they fall on their backs and can't get up and then die. Like, that's not entertaining programming. Here's the thing about sheep. Sheep are animals that need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. It's been said that the existence of sheep is absolute evidence against the theory of evolution. There is no way sheep could have survived this survival of the fittest. <laughs> sheep need a shepherd. So it stands that the, our greatest need or the sheep's greatest need is a shepherd. That's their greatest need. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. Our greatest need then is God the shepherd of our souls. If, if God compares you to sheep, says you guys are all sheep, 
You guys are all defenseless, really, in, in the chaos of the world, and we all kind of know this. We all, we can't really defend ourselves. We're not really, we can't really figure it all out. We're all still confused no matter how smart we get. We are prone to wander and we're prone to wander together. We're all afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. All of us. And David explains why we need a shepherd here in verse two. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And this is not just utilitarian. This is not just, hey, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. I need to find me a shepherd. That's not exactly what this is talking about. This is the wonderful presence, what the wonderful presence of a shepherd does. When a sheep has a shepherd to lead them, they will be led to green pastures. They will be led to living water. And that's why these two things are such a huge deal. They're some of the biggest needs sheep have. Sheep's greatest need, a sheep's greatest need is green pastures and still waters. And the ironic thing is they can't get to these necessities by themselves. They try. They're hungry for green pastures. They need to lie down and rest. And they are thirsty and long for fresh water, but they can't get to them without a good shepherd to lead them. Well, at least not the sheep that David's talking about here in Psalm 23, because he was a shepherd in the Middle East in the extreme conditions of the Middle East. So David says that God, the good shepherd, makes him lie down in green pastures and he leads him beside still waters. Why is this so important? David was a shepherd himself. He knows that sheep are animals that are naturally afraid. We just talked about that. They're naturally afraid. They won't lie down and rest. They won't drink from rushing rivers. They're too afraid of rushing rivers. They won't walk up to a rushing river and just drink. They'll either run from it or run into it and die. They don't know how to stop and like drink. So a shepherd has to block off the river and make a a cool, quiet stream. And that's where the sheep drink. Sheep will not rest. And David knows this. Sheep will not rest unless they are free from all of their fears. Sheep cannot find rest until, until the shepherd has released them from all of their fears. I mean, is this not true of us? We cannot rest due to our worry, our fear, and our anxiety. I don't know how many of you guys don't sleep well, or you can't focus well, and you're sometimes so filled with worry and so filled with anxiety. Fear is something that kind of strikes to our core. We know about fear. So when David says that his shepherd makes him lie down in green pastures, he uses the imperfect verb form, meaning that the the shepherd doesn't force the sheep to lie down, but allows the sheep to lie down. The shepherd's not like, okay, sheep, listen, here's your stupid lawn. Sit down, shut up. I'm going to go over here and have a coffee. Just here. He doesn't make them lie down. He, He doesn't go, hey, you better lie down or I'll put you down right now. Sit down doesn't do that. This is what this means. The shepherd creates an environment that dispels all fear so that the sheep can lie down and rest. The shepherd creates an environment for the sheep so that the sheep know that the shepherd's there. They can trust in him. The fear is gone and they can finally rest. And there is no true rest until they, till sheep, until we are released from all our fears. And David knew as a shepherd himself that his little flock wouldn't lie down and rest until he, they were brought to green pastures and released from all their fear. But we too have fear. We too live in fear. Our fear is so weird. It's sometimes it's often 
It's often rooted in a potential loss of something that we really, really lust after or desire. Something we love, a good thing that has become an ultimate thing, also called an idol or idolatry. And idolatry is often a very two-sided coin, a double-edged sword. On one side of the coin is lust, desire. But on the other side of the coin is fear. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean here. Those of us, you might lust after money. You want money. Like, well, how do I know if I want money? Because the other side of the coin is you fear poverty. You fear losing it all. That's one of your fears. If I do this, will I lose it all? If I do that, will my savings account still be there? You, you're afraid of losing it all. Those of you who lust after approval, you love to please people. How do you know? The flip side of the coin is you fear rejection and conflict. And you'll do anything you can to please people to keep you from being rejected. There's those of us that, that lust after intimacy, physical intimacy. Well, how do I know? The flip side of that is loneliness. You fear being alone. You hate being alone. Some, some of us fear or lust after pleasure. You love pleasure. And the fear, the flip side is boredom. You fear boredom. Or maybe you just love your life. I have a love for my own life. I love my life. And you fear losing your life. So at these times when these fears overwhelm you, it may be said, the dollar is my shepherd. Or intimacy of a warm body is my shepherd. Or love for my own life is my shepherd. And you will always be in want. I mean, do you see how we're like sheep? Like we can't rest. We can't be dispelled from fear. I mean, have you ever been really, really, really afraid? I know that's a silly, that's kind of a silly question because everyone's afraid from time to time. But I'm talking about like, not just a little scared, when you were fear, filled with so much fear of what lied ahead that you were absolutely paralyzed. I mean, completely paralyzed. It possessed your body, even your soul, seemed powerless to do anything against the fear and the anxiety. It might be that you're afraid, not afraid of spiders. Some of us in here, my wife's super afraid of spiders. I am a little bit more bold until they get as big as my fist and then game's off, game's over. There's no way. But you might be like, I'm not necessarily afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not even afraid of public speaking. But you know in the grand scheme of things, when you step back and you look at the big picture, you know that you're really defenseless against the hostile forces of this world. It scares you to death. It even drives you to restlessness. When you realize you can't control everything. You can't control the economy. You can't control your kids. You want to, you want to have the best things for them, but you can't control your own kids. You can't control your you can't control sicknesses, and you can't even control yourself. And when you think about it, it freaks you out. And God is right that we are vulnerable little sheep, but we try to suppress it with self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Maybe some of us run out of fear. We just don't deal or cope with life. We just run out of fear. Some of us drink our sorrows away, or we use substance abuse to deal with the fear that leads to restlessness of our souls, that deep, deep thirst within. And you might be so gripped by fear that a spontaneous phone call gets you scared. Your phone rings, and you look at the number, and you look at who it is, you're like, I'm not, I don't want to answer this call. I'm afraid. Or an email comes across, and it says, we need to talk, and you just fear the worst. What did I do? What did they do? What happened? And you're always living in fear, and it's generally the unknown and the unexpected that produces panic and fear and anxiety within us. Because we can't, and because of this, we can't find rest. 
We get anxious and we can't find rest. We can't physically rest. There's some of us in here who can't physically rest because our minds are turning. Or we can't emotionally rest. Or spiritually rest. Or spiritually wandering. You're spiritually seeking or whatever. Or you can't mentally rest. You can't find rest. And I will confess to you, since we started the church in San Francisco, it's been very hard to find rest to actually get a good night's sleep, to turn off my head and rest in Jesus. Now, I'm not boasting, saying, well, I've been so busy, I can't rest. I'm confessing. Anxiety is a great temptation of mine. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. <laughs> I've had a rest of this for two weeks. What about you guys? What about us together? What, what are the things that you're tempted with to fear, to get anxious over? Anxiety and worry that are, that's really rooted in, in fear is a sin, Anxiety is a sin when it's rooted in fear. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Anything, really anything? Anything. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When you or I say don't be anxious, that's like a pep talk. It's like, hey, brother, don't be anxious. Like, okay, I'll try, I'll try. But when God says don't be anxious, when the Bible says don't be anxious, it's a moral command. It's God's will that you not be anxious. In other words, when you are anxious, it's sin. And why is it sin? Anxiety is really distrust in God. That's the root of anxiety. Peter said that the basis for casting all our anxieties upon God is because he cares for us. Cast your anxieties on God. Why? Because he cares for you. So when I'm anxious, I'm actually in some way believing that God does not care for me. Like I would cast my cares on God, but he doesn't really care for me. I don't, I can't know if I could trust him and be like my wife Ashley saying, David, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't think you love me or even care for me. That would be a great deep insult. But that's what our anxiety says about God. God you don't love me, you don't even care for me, so I'm going to worry and fear and doubt. Or it could be our anxiety, what it says about God, is that God will not take care of us. You might not really distrust that God's there. You just don't trust that, you don't trust his providence. You don't trust that he has a plan. You don't trust in his sovereignty. Again, I will confess that this is a big temptation. Sunday mornings, you can typically find me upstairs from the uh, the place where we, where we hold service, just this worried wreck, anxious wreck, worrying and fearing if people are actually going to show up to church or I'm going to be talking to the worship team. Like, I have this fear. I'm just confessing. This is this fear in me. I'm like, is anyone, I don't, I don't know, if, is anyone going to show up or not going to show up? And then what I'm, not, what I'm really not doing, and you can apply this to your own life, is I'm not trusting and submitting to God's plans. It's really, I distrust, not that I distrust God, but it's my unwillingness to submit to his plans. So what if you wanted to bring two people there or pack the place out? That's not up to me, that's up to God. And the only way my little sheep heart finds rest at that moment is when I come to the place where I believe that God is sovereign and he's in sovereign control and then I gladly submit to his will. I can pray, God, Bring in people to hear your word and to hear the gospel and to be saved and to trust in you. But in the end, it's his will, not mine. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, as you will, trusting in the sovereignty and the plan of the Father. The only time that I get to lay down in green pastures 
The green pastures that God has provided is when I rest in the environment he's created. Even in the midst of chaos and uncontrollable circumstances, when I can look over and I know that my good shepherd's there and I fear not, and I cast all my anxiety upon him. See, we can only lie down in green pastures. We can truly only find rest and walk beside still waters, find true contentment when we realize the good shepherd is with us. Sheep have little or no means of self-defense. They're helpless and timid, feeble creatures whose only recourse is to run. So when they fear, they run. Or they just stand there, never wanting to lie down. They'll stand there forever, never wanting to lie down. Because if they lie down, they know that they will be more vulnerable if they lie down. So they stand there forever on their feet, on the move, searching for some scanty mouthful of food that won't ever satisfy them. Or they get thirsty and become restless for their pursuit of water. And if they don't find pure, clean water, they will end up drinking from polluted potholes and contaminated, stagnant streams. The only way that there's true rest and the only way that there's true contentment is at the shepherd's side. He leads us beside still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He creates an environment where you are free from fear. St. Augustine said in chapter one, he opens up confessions like this. Great art thou, O Lord, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Our hearts are this restless, wandering soul until it finds its shepherd. Blaise Pascal said that only God can fill our God-shaped vacuum. He actually said, more specifically, that every human heart has an infinite abyss that can only be filled with the infinite. See, Psalm 23 is not a prayer. It's not a prayer of David. Psalm 23 isn't read, Lord, can you be my shepherd? I do not want to want. Can you make me lie down in green pastures? Can you lead me beside still waters? Shepherd, can you restore my soul? It's not a prayer request. Psalm 23 is a psalm of privilege. This is what God does for his people. I showed you earlier from Philippians and 1 Peter that anxiety and worry is a sin. And it might have made you even more anxious. Like, wait, anxiousness is a sin? That kind of makes me anxious a little bit. I didn't know that. Thank you, pastor. That was enlightening and condemning at the same time. You cannot just stop being anxious and cease from fearing by like positive energy or positive thinking or doing more or being different. The only way anxiety and fear are eradicated from our hearts is by realizing the good shepherd, is knowing that he's with us, that he's there. In Mark chapter six, There's an allusion to this in the Gospels. Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out 12 disciples, and they come back from a missions trip. And he goes, you're tired and weary. Come with me. I'm going to take you to a desolate place, and you're going to rest. So they get into the boat. They go to the other side of the Galilee where they stop the crowd. At this point, Jesus' popularity is huge. And a crowd, some paparazzi hears about this and tells them where they're going to land. And when they land, all these people are there. And they step out, and Jesus starts to teach them. And then they get hungry. The disciples are like, Jesus, people are getting hungry here. And then he says, you feed them. Like, well, we can't feed them. We don't have anything. What do you have? A couple fish and some loaves. And then it says this. When he 
got off the boat and he saw this crowd. It says in verse 34, he went ashore and he saw a crowd and he had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep wandering. Christ looks at this crowd and like this, this crowd needs to be shepherded. This crowd needs a shepherd. And so he feeds them, he teaches them. When he feeds them in verse 39, it says, and this is a little clue that Mark throws in there to point back to this psalm. It says in verse 39, then he had them all lie down in groups on green grass. This is the good shepherd. He says, everybody have them lie down, have them sit on green grass. And where was the scene? Next to the Sea of Galilee, beside still waters. And he's feeding them the word. And he's feeding them physically. And the disciples should have seen it. They should have realized it. It was the good shepherd among them, but they didn't see it. So as a good shepherd did, he sent them into a storm. He said, get into the boat. I'm going to go pray. You guys go on the other side of the Galilee. I'll meet you at this place. So they get in the boat and they, ha- they fall right into a storm. But it also says in Mark's gospel that Jesus saw them the whole time. He was up on the mountain praying and he saw them. Now, did he physically see them or he spiritually, I, we don't know. But the shepherd's eye is always on his flock and he sees them and they don't get it. And so what does he do? He walks on water out to them. Actually, not out to them. He wants to pa- Mark just says he wants to pass them by, which is funny. He's like, they're on the shore and they, they're just rowing and ro- roaring and then Jesus walks and he goes, and he meant to pass them by. Like, walk by him and goes, hey boys, how are you doing? And then they freaked out. They flipped out, and they said he was a ghost. And then Jesus came up to them walking on the sea, meaning to pass by them. They cried out. They were afraid. And then Jesus saw that they were terrified, it says. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. What he says there, and the strange part of this story, is Jesus, when it says he meant to pass by them, it has all these Old Testament overtones, like when Moses asked to see God's face and God said, no, but stand here and I will pass by you and you will see my glory as I pass by. And when they're freaking out and Jesus says, don't be afraid, he says, don't be afraid for I am, ego amy. See, when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush, he says that I've seen the oppression of people, I'm sending you Moses to deliver my people. And Moses asked, "Um, who are you? And who do I tell them sent me? That's a very important question. And then God says, tell them I am sent you. I am, the, I am God, the self-existent and therefore not dependent on anything else for his own existence, God. I am the creator and sustainer of all that exists, God. I am the God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am God eternal in my existence. I am and I will be God. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am And when they stopped being afraid and Jesus walked on their storm, the thing that was freaking them out and made them afraid, it said he did this because they didn't understand the lesson from the fish and the loaves. They didn't see that the good shepherd was among them. They didn't see. You see, the reason why we're so afraid is that we don't realize the good shepherd is among us, even in our storms. Where is the good shepherd? I don't see Jesus. All I see is ghosts. Like we go to the worst, don't we? Disciples are just like us. They see Jesus on the storm, and they've seen Jesus do everything. And they immediately go, ghost. They don't think, could it be Jesus? 
Maybe it's Jesus. We've seen him do all kinds of stuff. They go, ghost, we're dead, we're dying. That's us. We're sheep. So afraid. And he's like, do not be afraid. I am. Do you realize that the, the good shepherd, the I am, the good shepherd divine is with you? And you need not fear. Remember, he makes me lie down does not mean sheep. You go to sleep or I'll put you to sleep. That's not what it means. It means because of what Christ has done, we are able to lie down. We are able to lie down because Christ has laid down his life for us. He's more explicit in John's gospel. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is Christ. He is our good shepherd. You see, with me, there was poverty and emptiness, but with Christ, riches and abundance. And my poverty once made him poor, now his riches make me rich, and I shall not want. I was often weary, and he is always strong. And once my weariness made him weary, but now his strength makes me strong. I only knew rough and noisy places, but he knows the places soft and quiet. And once he came into the rough and the noise for me, and now I dwell in, green, in the green pastures of tender grass beside the waters of quietness with him. I was hungry and thirsty in a desert place, but Christ is the fullness of God. And once he became hungry and on the cross said, I thirst, and he did it for me. And now he has brought me into the land of plenty and he restores my soul. Do you see that this is not a prayer? David is not praying this psalm. He is not asking God to do something for him. Rather, he is rejoicing in what the Lord has done and continues to do in his life. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, do you realize, and this is the question here, that he has led us into green pastures. And he has led us beside still waters. But are you lying down, sheep? Are you resting? Are you being led and drinking deep? Do you realize that because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, he has removed the wrath of God and the fear associated with the wrath of God, where now perfect love casts out all fear? He has removed the power of sin and we no longer have to fear sin's mastery over us. He has destroyed the authority structure of Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion and we're sheep, but we have a good shepherd. He has removed the fear of death and made us to say, oh death, where is your sting? And because of that, you can finally have rest. You can lie down in green pastures that Christ has won for us. And we could be led beside the still waters knowing that he is with me. And the invitation of the good shepherd is this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Quote with the, close with a Spurgeon quote. He says, Charles Spurgeon, listen, child of God. You can lose your possessions, but you cannot lose your God. Like Jonah, you can see your plant wither, but your God remains. You may lose your land, but not your God. You may lose your savings, but not your Savior. Even if it came to the worst and you were left for a while as one forsaken by God, you, would, you still would not lose him. Like the Lord Jesus on the cross, you may still call God 
my God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is a portion from which we can never be alienated. He lives and he reigns. He will be our guide even unto death. This is our good shepherd. And our hearts are at rest when we're in his presence. And there are a lot of us that are, that are in fear right now. And our fear might be irrational. That's what fears are. They're irrational sometimes. And we need to confess them to God and go, you are with me. And I trust in your sovereignty. And I trust that you care for me. So I'm going to cast my anxieties upon you. Let's do that in worship. Let's do that with the prayer team if you need prayer for anything. Let's do that in communion. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you that you have led us. That you have become a sheep to the slaughter that you have descended that we can have life. I pray, God, that we would know that you are with us, that you would cast out fear among us. I pray the only thing that we would fear is you, that we'd have this healthy, godly, wonderful fear of you, God. I pray, God, that you would work this deep into our hearts that maybe there's some people that have not have ha- not had rest in a very long time. I pray that in faith they would turn to you and live. They would confess and repent from their wanderings and their restlessness and their worry and turn to Jesus who restores our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.